Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's Michael C. Bouchard, the host of the Night Stalker podcast. This is episode 109, the disappearance of Frederick Valentich. This case is somewhat interesting. Um, I'll go over the basics with you and then throw in what I think happened happened in this case. Um, Frederick was a uh, pilot. And on uh, in October of 1978, he uh, rented a, uh, a single-engine uh, Cessna. And upon getting into the Cessna, he was attempting to make his way... Um, from um, Melbourne uh, over to the island of Tasmania, I believe it is. Uh, little demographics. Uh, Frederick was a 20-year-old uh, member of the uh, Air Training Corps. Um, he had a lot of flight hours, 560 uh, flight hours. Uh, he left from the uh, Morobin Airport in uh, Melbourne, Australia. And he was going to make a round trip, which consisted of about 560 kilometers from uh, the airport to an island and back. The type of aircraft he was using was a, a single-engine Cessna 182L Lima. He took off at about, I want to say about 6 p.m. Uh, on October 21st. And he was actually attempting to fly to uh, King, I- King King Island. It's about halfway between the uh, island of Tasmania and the, Tasmania and the uh, mainland of uh, Australia. Now, because of the the distance, uh, which was mostly over water. Most of the uh, pilots would take a, sh- a slightly longer sh- uh, trip uh, for the typical reason that when you ditch a plane in water, uh, you're less likely to survive simply because, uh, especially in that area, you'll drown because of the distance, not being able to swim that far, uh, natural predators that live in that area, so on and so forth, where if you ditch on land, depending on what and how you hit, you have a higher probability of at least surviving the crash. Uh, This is where things start to get a little bit weird. Uh, About 20 minutes into his flight, he was flying at an altitude of 4,500 feet. Um, And I will go over some of the uh, air transmissions, not all of it, but some of it just to give you kind of an idea where we're going with this. Okay, so... Let me start here. Melbourne, this is Delta Sierra Juliet. Is there any known aircraft below 5,000 feet? Airport. Delta Sierra Juliet, no traffic. Pilot. Delta Sierra Juliet, I am seeing... I, I seem to be... I see a large aircraft... 
below 5,000 feet. Airport, Delta Sierra Juliet, what type of aircraft? Pilot, Delta Sierra Juliet, I cannot confirm. It has four bright lights. It seems to be like landing lights. Airport, Delta, Julie, Delta Sierra Juliet, Melbourne. This is Delta Sierra Juliet. The aircraft has just passed over me at at least 5,000 feet above. Conversation continued uh, for about five minutes. Next, uh, skip that. Then, then we go pilot. Delta Sierra Juliet, Melbourne. It seems like it's stationary. What am I doing right now? What it's doing right now is orbiting. And the thing is just orbiting on top of me. Basically, he means hovering, I guess. Also, just got a green green light on. Sort of a meta- It's kind of a sort of metallic-like shiny outside. I guess he's talking about the surface of what this thing is supposed to be. Pilot. Delta Sierra, Delta Sierra Juliet. The engine is rough idling. I've got it set for um, 23, 24, and the thing is coughing. Airport. Delta Sierra Juliet. Roger. What are your intentions? Pilot. My intentions are to go to Kings Island, Melbourne. The strange aircraft is hovering on top of me. It's hovering, and it's not an aircraft. Airport, Delta Sierra Juliet. Pilot, Delta Sierra Juliet, Melbourne. His, his final transmission was at uh, 19, 12 hours and 28 seconds, at which time the airport uh, declared an alert, which was Escalated to a distress situation 21 minutes later. So, it depends. You have two, at this point, you have two lines of thinking. If you're a UFOologist, you are already convinced that his, he or his plane or both have been abducted by a uh, spacecraft. If you are not a UFOologist, you are believing that he experienced engine trouble, and the the plane uh, the the plane went into the water. Now, here's some information that most people don't know. Uh, Frederick had lied lied to everyone about where and where he was going, basically, uh, and why he was going to Kings Island. He told the uh, airport that he was picking up passengers. But there were no pa- there was no passengers list or passengers to pick up on the island. He told his family and girlfriends he was going to pick up crayfish, but there were no uh, crayfish available on the island. He told his girlfriend he would be back at 19:30 hours, which was clearly clearly impossible. Neither story was true. So really, the question is, where was he going? Okay. Uh, he, he knew that he was going to... This was his first nighttime flight, too. Uh, he knew the arrival would be well after dark. He knew this. the airstrip on Kings Island was uncontrolled, which means 
there was nobody in the towers there. So basically what that meant is he could land and take off at his convenience without too many questions being being known. And if he was actually going to land on King's Island, he would have called a called ahead so that the uh, runway lights were turned on, which he never did. Uh, looking at some of his uh, flight records, uh, he was known to toy around with the regulations, managed to have gotten himself in trouble uh, two or three times in five years uh, of having his license. He strayed into uh, controlled airspace around uh, Sydney, uh, Sydney's airport and twice flew into clouds on purpose when he uh, had not been rated yet as a pilot. When he disappeared, he had only recently received an official letter of uh, reprimand for one of these uh, two later incidents. So he uh, established, he had already established himself a, a reputation. To go on further, uh, both he and his father were longtime believers of uh, flying saucers and spaceships and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and they had often talked about what they were going to do uh, in the event that there was ever a uh, an alien attack or UFO uh, attack. And it seemed to preoccupy both of them. Some uh, would consider uh, his dis his disappearance uh, other than the UFO abduction uh, compounded by the fact that uh, scraps of his or fragmentary pieces of his plane were found. Uh, it is unlikely uh, remains he would be held as an alien. If I mean, if his fucking plane, parts of his plane were found. Uh, parts of this uh, Cessna's uh, engine cowl and the proper uh, range or serial number to have been matched for the plane he rented had washed up on uh, Fl Flanders Island in Tasmania. Uh, the Royal uh, Australian Navy Research Lab could not find any lost uh, aircraft or uh, wreckage recorded except for his disappearance. And this was years later. Now here again, and I want you to, um, I want you to uh, listen to this one because this is, um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, The more interesting part of the story uh, arose, most part, and the most striking part was when, uh, if you read the radio transcripts, and I reread them again, the original transcripts, and then I reread um, a set of transcripts that somebody had mentioned with almost the exact same. Verbiage. And where did that come from? The same place Bob Lazar's hand scanner came from. Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which had been uh, released uh, less than a year before uh, his disappearance. If you remember, uh, Rob Lazar and uh, car salesman uh, Jeremy Corbell uh we were telling the public on uh, a movie that they had made 
that uh, while he was an employee of Los Alamos, uh, Rob Lazar was the one that uh, popped open the uh, Area 51. Um, story. Um, he had claimed to Corbell that he had used a, uh, uh, a new type of science, a hand scanner. Now, this was 1988, remember that date, and that uh, it would measure the bone density and all kind of bone structures, yada, 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 so he can get in and out of the facility to work on aircraft, um, a spacecraft, none of which was probably true because, one, he was not a national employee of Los Alamos. He was a subcontractor. Uh, they are not going to let subcontractors um, work on uh, spacecraft, believe it or not. They don't let subcontractors do that. And again, the hand scanner, which was, according to Lazar and Corbell, was something that had newly been newly developed to uh, keep the uh, site secured was actually showed up in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And when I researched it, it was actually that type of scanner was actually built in 71 and it had gone public for a long time. So, um, so take it for what it's worth. So, with that, with that being said, you know, there's a lot of, uh, the story within itself is tragic. I mean, it's obvious that, uh, when he, when he said that he was having, you know, the, the engine was sputtering and qua or quaffing as he called it already, that was a sign that there was something going on. All right. He probably didn't believe it was going to be to any extent. However, not knowing where he was traveling, it would have been hard to just assume a location uh, because it had lied about it. I mean, it, parts of his plane did wash up. So we know for a fact that um, the aircraft did ditch into the water. I mean, who the hell knows? He may still be alive. You know? I mean, I hate to, I hate to be the, you know... You know, talking uh, talking about somebody that's possibly deceased, but let's face it. I mean, it's still one of uh, Australia's uh, most popular missing uh, alien alien abduction uh, urban legend kind of things going on there. So who knows? I mean, it's like Joan Rish, you, you know, set up this big scene and all this and that stuff and. Uh, Based on based on the evidence, it's probably unlikely that uh, she was a victim of foul play. Just like this guy, he could have had a boat waiting around somewhere for him, purpose, pure, you know, purposely ditched the plane, you know, bailed out, ditched the plane. I don't know how that would be done, but I'm sure you could figure it out. And uh, who the hell knows? You may be out there getting a good laugh on us uh, somewhere. Even to this today, and uh, some of the information I got from this—it's an interesting article. It's called "The Disappearance of Frederick Valentich." Uh, it was written by uh, Brian Dunning. 
And it's filed under Aliens, UFOs, and Urban Legends. And it's uh, Skeptoid number 385. And it was put out on October 22nd of 2013. So the story, in fact, has been around for a long time. Um, it's an interesting case. I think what had happened was uh, Frederick had attempted to play around with the uh, air traffic control in Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne. More than likely, the um, unbeknownst to him that he was going to run into some type of mechanical problems, uh, ditching in the water, not on King uh, King's King Island, but rather. Uh, Um, another island off of Tasmania, and unfortunately, uh, we will probably never know, you know, if the pieces were floating around and the larger, we, we don't know how fragmentary the plane went, so we don't know if it's merely sunk to the bottom, the larger portion of it, and whereabouts, nobody knows. I mean, I'm sure one day it'll eventually be found. Um, but to this point, it still remains in uh, what we consider a an unsolved uh, disappearance. It's kind of strange. I just thought I'd bring it up to you. And this is Michael C. Bouchard, and this should be episode 109. We have so many episodes going on, I, I have to occasionally look back just to see what I'm doing. And just remember, if you're in a dark place, dark room, dark car, dark parking lot, anywhere where it's dark, ask yourself, one, what am I doing here? My question to you is, what are you doing there? And second, if you hear footprints or steps coming up from behind you, you better have an exit route, back door, back window, side trail, side road, but whatever you do, you better use it and you better use it fast.